Hello and welcome to the weekly message podcast from Crozet United Methodist Church in Crozet, Virginia. We invite you to join us in person any Sunday for our contemporary service at 8.30 a.m. or for a more traditional service at 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org for further information. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Crozet UMC. how many of you are familiar with the book of Revelation other than let's stay away from it? How many of you actually knew this was in here? It's kind of hard to get to. You have to get through a lot of beasts and woes and plagues. And if you can get through that and get to chapter 21, you find this incredible promise, this transforming and transformative picture of what the new kingdom will look like when Jesus returns. Now, we have been on this journey about death and dying, and it has been a long journey, and some of you are ready for it to rest in peace, I know. We will lay it down today. However, it's not going to go quietly, and it's not going to go easily, because there's some truth that we need to hear. And one of the things that is very tragic about this text is that it is almost completely relegated to the graveside. It's part of the traditional scripture that is read as we commit a body to the ground. And unfortunately, when we relegate it to that, we're almost relegating it to obscurity because now so many people have other options when they die. We cremate more. Those aren't always interred into the ground. And so less and less this text gets read. And unfortunately, when we do read it, most people aren't in a place to really process this. Standing at the graveside is not really a place to go, oh, but it's really good. Most people don't want to hear that. So it is appropriate and a good and joyful thing for us to pay attention now so that when our time of need comes, we can have this feeling rekindled in us that God has made us a promise that it is ours and we will see this come to fruition. So this text is telling us about what it will look like after the resurrection, that heaven will come down. Did you catch that? The new Jerusalem comes down out of heaven like a bride adorned for her husband. And Jesus is sitting on the throne. His triumphant return to the earth where now all of heaven and all of those who have passed away and are resurrected will now meet. This is what we mean when we pray in the Lord's Prayer, Thy kingdom come and your will be done here as it is in heaven because heaven will one day be here. And so as we read this scripture, we see that there are promises that are made to us, that no longer will we be divided from God, no longer will there be barriers and blockades, no longer will we be stymied by our own faithlessness or inability to see directly. But now God will come And God will live on earth and dwell with us unimpeded for all time. Have you ever had this encounter, the encounter with God in some form, maybe in worship, and you thought, if only I could have that for a little longer. If only it would stay with me for longer than this moment. I wish I could stay here forever. Your day will come. 
And God promises us that everything will be transformed. We will see the death of death. Its end will come. There will be no more crying. God will wipe away the tears from our eyes. No longer ever will we mourn or cry or feel pain, for they will have ended. And what replaces that, which can take such a huge portion of our lives? Endless worship. Endless worship with our Lord, who has come to us and who says, I give you this kingdom. Come and be with me for all time. If we were to go on, we find out that the prophet who composed these visions says to us that an angel came and whisked him away and showed him what it would look like. And there, the prophet saw a city, the city of God, transformed like a giant square and three gates on each side, 12 total. It says that the gates are like 12 pearls. Each gate is a single pearl, hence pearly gates. And the city is made of pure gold, transparent as glass, even the streets. So when they say paved with gold, that's what they're talking about. Only the prophet notes for us that there's no temple in this holy city. How can there be a holy city of Jerusalem with no temple? Because God is the temple. You will no longer have to go to a house of God to be in the presence of our Lord. God will be there. Endless communion with our Savior. And there in the holy city, it says that there was no temple. For its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. The city has no need for sun or moon to shine on it. For the glory of God is its light. And its lamp is the Lamb. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. The gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. A place that is open to all those who wish to enter in. It is the fulfillment of God's grace that God, who has been endlessly pouring out grace for us proveniently before we ever even knew that we needed it, God, who has made all of these things possible, that all we have to do is say, yes, I want the salvation of Jesus Christ. It will come to fruition that day. And all those who choose it, who take the grace which God is freely offering, can enter into this holy place. Now, as we've gone through this series, it has been a long journey. The first sermon I gave to you was about not fearing. That God, who constantly says to us throughout the scripture, do not fear, means it. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid of anything, much less death. I am with you all of your days, beyond your days. I will be with you forever. That not even death can separate us. And so then I introduced to you the Old Testament concept of Sheol and offered you an opportunity to see how maybe Sheol, this place of the dead, could fit into that, re that restoration that the dead could once more encounter God unimpeded and perhaps there find the transformation that they denied in this life. And that those who had already received our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ would be resting for that day of resurrection. And that when he returned, as depicted in the book of Revelation, we would all rise together. That it would be the most incredible celebration 
when all people entered into the new kingdom together. No privilege, no power. Instead, it's about the equal love and salvation of Jesus Christ for all of those who would like to be a part of it. And then last week, we talked about the fact that the Apostle Paul was very clear to us that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing. Despite what people tell you, despite what you have heard, nothing can separate you from the love of God. Not your life, not your death. Not your means of death. And we talked about how important that is. And after both worship services and all throughout last week, I was having conversations with people who said, I'm glad you preached that. I'm glad that you reminded us and told us that we could say this. And I'll tell you exactly why I did that. I did that because all my life, as I was growing up, I had male clergy in my church who believed that women should be ordained, that we should not be denied this office, that no one should tell us that we are less than another person simply because we have two X chromosomes, that instead, as the scripture said, your daughters will prophesy. And they believed that, and they preached that, and they taught that, and they upheld female clergy. And yet every time somebody stood up in front of me and said, I don't think you should be ordained because you're a woman, they were never there. And as much as I want to walk with you every single step of your day, as much as I would love to be there, and somebody said something to you about, oh, no, you're not going to heaven, I could be like, whoa, I got this. You want me to start in the Old Testament, or you want me to get back there? I won't be there. And I can't tell you how much I really hate that truth. That when someone starts to assail your faith and tell you that you are less than God ever intended you to be, that I want to be the first person to go, you better back off. I am happy to throw some Job at you right now. I won't be there. And so I believe that the church is here to edify you, to equip you, to send you out, to educate you. So that in those moments when somebody stands there and tries to tell you some God-awful untruth, that you will say, no, that is not true. I know that is not true. I know that God came because God so loved the world. And I know that nothing can separate me from God's love. And I know this for it is true. And every fiber of my being reverberates with that truth. And you can't take it away from me. And so I told you that message last week. And now this week I believe the message is no less true. It is a sure that despite all of the things that are going on in our lives right now, whether our houses are assailed with illness, whether we're confronting death in our family, our friends, our neighbors, whether we are riddled with anxiety over what the future holds, whether in we're in a place of transformation of who we are personally, whether there is a negative balance in the bank account or there is money owed on the house, wherever you find yourself, that you can stand in the light of day and say with great conviction and faithfulness that my future is assured, that God is with me and for me and walks by my side, that I have the blessing of the Father, and Jesus has promised to walk daily with me, and a piece of the Holy Spirit has been residing with me since the day of my baptism. God is at work in me and through me and through others for me. 
And this place has been prepared. And we are just waiting for the day. We are waiting for the time when this will become true. Because I don't believe that this is a dead book. I believe that this is a living text where God's truth speaks today and tomorrow. I believe that all that I need for salvation is contained in its pages. And that nobody can tell me something that's not in here to negate my salvation. And if that is true for me, that is true for you, that is true for all of us. That is true for people who don't even know what this book says. And God is working day and night, endless hours for decades, millennium, in order to say, this is yours. All of my promises are contained in here. This is the greatest love letter ever written to a group of people. And it was written to you. And God is telling us, in those moments when darkness and doubt and fear assail you, do not be afraid. Don't let your concerns separate you from me. Don't let this contradiction that is out in the church tell you that I don't love you and know you and will for you to be with me. Don't let anything come between us. But more than that, are we, are we going to allow something to come between someone else and God? Are we going to let other people build barriers that let someone think that they can't take grace, that they can't receive what Jesus suffered and died to give to us? In Hinduism, there's a god called Ganesh who has an elephant head, and his job is to remove obstacles. That's why you often see him at the beginning of a temple, even if the temple is not for Ganesh. You'll see Ganesh there, and his job is to take away anything that would cloud your mind or distract your eyes that would cause you not to listen. I don't believe that Ganesh is a real thing, but I do believe that God has placed Christian disciples on this earth to clear obstacles for other people. I believe that God has called us to speak the truth in love. And love doesn't look like exclusion. Love doesn't look like you are lesser than. God does not call Christians to cause pain and suffering for other people. We preach and live a truth. That is, that God has been pouring out all this grace. More grace than I could possibly sin. More grace than we combined can sin. And all you have to do is say, yes, I want that. We are not a denomination that believes you have to earn that grace. We are not a denomination that believes you have to work off your sin or work your way into heaven. Those gates are open. Those gates never close. We are not the guardians of the gate. That text doesn't even say St. Peter is standing at the gate. Peter isn't guarding that gate. Jesus has opened that gate. And Jesus decides who goes in. And Jesus has said in ways that we have not fully comprehended, I want you. I want you here with me. 
And whether we do it today or over the course of next week or we spend the rest of our lives trying to do it, I hope we are removing obstacles and barriers for other people who can't hear that, who don't feel it, who think that that must be for somebody else because I don't look, sound, or act like the typical Christian. Welcome to my club. I don't have a picture of what you should look like except merciful. I don't have a picture that says you should be wearing a certain thing. Instead, I think that the Christian is defined by the grace that they speak, by the hospitality they offer, by the love that they pour out on other people, and by their refusal to heap burdens when Jesus came to free. That's what a Christian looks like. So if you want to help liberate somebody, then you can be a Christian. If you want to help turn the tide of a world that says that you're not good enough, that you could never be, that you have too much work to do, that you are not worth it, then you can be a Christian. We are called here for a holy purpose. God is equipping us so that we can go out and do the work. And the world better watch out. Because if God is for us, who can stand against? So this is your promise. That without having to do anything, if you desire to be a part of unending communion, where it says that there is actually a river that flows from the throne, that gives everlasting life, if you want to see the fulfillment Jesus said, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Genesis chapter 2 tells us that when God created the Garden of Eden, that there were two trees in the midst of the garden. And the first tree was the knowledge of good and evil, the one from which Adam and Eve were not to eat, and they did. The other tree that was there was the tree of life. And God the Father said, now that they have disobeyed me and brought sin into the world, they must leave this paradise for a time. But that I will restore not only their taste of paradise, but I will do better. I will bring heaven to them. That the day will come when all that was promised in Genesis will not only be fulfilled, but surpassed in Revelation. The tree of life is mentioned in Revelation, that we will eat from that tree, that we will bask in the glory of God forever. Paradise was when God the Father walked in the evening time amongst the creation and spoke with Adam and Eve. But the kingdom of heaven to come is when God is in our midst all the time, not just in the evening time but every moment of every day. And the light of God is so powerful and gracious that we have no need for sun or moon. That there is nothing to even obstruct that light, that the buildings are transparent and the streets are paved to reflect it. That's your future. That's what God has promised to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, don't let anyone take that from you. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, don't let anyone take it from another. We have work to do, brothers and sisters, but I feel very confident that God is with you, God is for you, and God will do incredible things through you.
May it be so in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you again for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope you found the message meaningful, and we invite you to join us in person as we gather for worship at Crozet United Methodist Church every Sunday at 8.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org to learn about ways you can connect with God and your neighbors through the ministries of Crozet UMC. Have a great week.